0: Well, as we usher in the new year, we are carrying with us a lot of advances that came to us in 2022. A lot of articles have been put out over the last few weeks about things that were accomplished by our society and in the world that were really incredible advances that we made and that we get to carry forward with us now. Many of the advances that have been highlighted are in the realm of information and technology and even in the field of artificial intelligence. Now, so much money and time and energy has been poured into these technologies because as we get access to more information faster, it gives us a great sense of control. We have knowledge about what's happening in our world and the events in our lives, and then we get to have a sense that we are in control or that we maybe even have a little power over them. One of the amazing technologies that was released is a little thing called ChatGPT. ChatGPT is a new artificial intelligence that was released this year. And right now, if you have a question about something or you would like some information, typically we go to Google or a search engine, we type in the question, and it then gives us about a 1,000 links that we get to parse through to try to find our answer. ChatGPT is an artificial intelligence that clearly and simply offers information and responses to the questions and prompts that we have all on its own. Uh, it answers questions clearly and cons- concisely, but also it can generate ideas on its own. So some people asked it for Christmas gift ideas and ChatGPT created their Christmas gift lists that they gave to their families. It's given business strategies. It actually wrote a four paragraph academic essay for a college student and they got an A on it. (laughs) It's an incredible technology that has so many uses for us, but of course, inevitably, In the weeks that it was, after it was released, most people were just having fun with it. You can go online and find a lot of very funny things that people had ChatGPT respond to. But my favorite was someone put in a prompt asking ChatGPT to, in the style of the King James Version Bible, explain how to remove a peanut butter sandwich from a VCR. (laughs) In eight seconds, it responded... And it came to pass that a man was troubled by a peanut butter sandwich. (laughs) For it had been placed within his VCR and he knew not how to remove it. (laughs) It went on. This is the whole text that it gave. And it actually describes how to gently insert a butter knife and remove the peanut butter sandwich. This technology has a lot of implications for us and a lot of uses, some of which may be more helpful than others. <laughs> but as we, <clears throat> as we begin using these technologies to get more information, we will do so in order to have a greater sense of mastery over our world and control over our lives. As Corey mentioned, we're in this sermon series now on the book, The Cost of Control by Sharon Hattie Miller, and she will be with us in two weeks preaching the sermon with us. It's going to be great. We're going to ask some questions this week and next week and the following about the role that control plays in our lives and the life of faith. And today we're asking why we control, like what motivates it, what undergirds it. And there are three primary things that we can identify for why we control. The first is that we inherited it. The second is that our culture disciples us into it. And the last is that control begets control. Once we get a little taste of it, we usually want a little more. So we are going to be in Genesis today all the way back at the beginning of creation. The setup that God made was that he created this world and he created an abundant garden in which he put Adam and Eve, the first people. God made this garden abundant. He provided them all the food they would ever need and beauty and security. And he even gave them his own presence with them. This was a beautiful life that he offered them. Now, the one limitation that he gave them was that this tree that was in the center of the garden, they weren't supposed to mess with it. They had been given everything that they need. Don't touch one piece of property. That was what they were told. This was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it was in the context of them being fully provided for that somehow this drive to control still rose up within them, And it plays out in our text today. We're in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The central temptation that Eve faced in this passage today and that we still face is found in verse 5. If you are reading along, go ahead and underline the phrase, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Eve was tempted to become like God, to somehow overcome her humanness, her humanity, and the primary descriptor of what that meant for her was that she would know good and evil. And when we hear that phrase, good and evil, I think it's pretty easy for us to think of like right and wrong. like think of terms in morality or like naughty and nice. Um, those, kinds of, those kinds of ethical terms. But it, clearly Eve actually already knows right and wrong. In the conversation she has with the serpent, she says, I'm not supposed to eat from that tree. I am allowed to eat from anything else in this garden. She knows right and wrong at this point. If we go deeper into those words, good and evil, we find the heart of the temptation that she faced. The Hebrew word for good is tov. Can you say that with me? Tov. The Hebrew for evil is ra. Can you say that with me? Ra. This word tov is all over Genesis 1 and 2. As God is creating the earth, and calling it good. We read in the third verse of Scripture uh, that God said, "Let there be light, and there was light." And God saw that the light was tove. It was good. The light was good, but light, in and of itself, light as an entity, it doesn't have ethics. Or morals. Light, light can't be well behaved. Um, it can't follow rules or be good in the ways of ethics and morals. And so, the reason God calls the light good, the land good, the sea good, the animals and the creatures good, what He means when God says good is ordered. When God puts something in the exact place where it needs to be with the function that is ideal for God and the world, God looks at it and says, behold, this is tov. This is good. This is exactly where it is meant to be. The knowledge of good and evil then is not about morality. Tov and ra are more accurately translated order and disorder. So when the serpent is talking to Eve and says, you're not gonna die, go ahead and eat the fruit, the temptation for her isn't that she's all of a a sudden gonna know what's right and wrong for her to do. Her temptation is to claim God's power to control and organize and order her own life and the world in the ways that she sees fit rather than trusting and depending on God. This is the temptation that Eve faces and that each one of us face today. And Eve had no reason to believe that God wasn't going to provide for her in the circumstances she was in. And yet, that temptation to control still crept in. After she ate the, the fruit, of the garden, she came to recognize the truth at the heart of this temptation. Hottie, Sharon Hottie Miller puts it this way she says, Control is a God category, not a human one. God can do whatever he wills, but we cannot, not with the same unfettered sovereignty as he can. Control is a God category. God is the one who is meant to order and organize and make things perfect. It would be great if the Eve story was the only time that humanity pursued this kind of control. But if we look at our lives and the world around us, we really see this temptation all around us. Because our culture disciples us into this. Our culture teaches us that control is the best, that we can order and organize our lives in the ways that are best for us. And this has been happening for, I mean, since time began, but we right now are in an information age, and with the acceleration of technologies like ChatGPT, where we can access any information that we need, it does help us feel like we somehow have more power and more control over our lives. Do you know that many of the devices that provide us the sense of control have an image of the forbidden fruit on them? (laughs) There's a bitten apple on this device. And this is the very thing that often helps us feel very much in control. There are a lot of methods for us to feel in control, but the technology that we use really does give us a deep sense of control. One of the ways we know this is the feeling that you get if you lose your phone. Has anyone lost their phones recently? It's not a great feeling. We were in Disney World last year and uh, I had a preschooler preschooler and a baby with me and uh, took them to the bathroom, changed a diaper, left and five minutes later realized that phone was on the changing table. And in that moment, I realized we can't get on rides. You need your phone to even get on rides in Disney World. We couldn't get out of the park. You have to scan yourself out. You couldn't get back in. It was a bit of a frenzied moment, and luckily we found it. But that sense of lack of control can pretty immediately set in, and it shows our dependence. It shows our dependence on the feeling of control. And it makes sense that these kinds of things and that technology gives us the sense of control because truthfully, they're amazing devices, they do so much. They've only existed for 16 years, and yet now, right now, with this little device, these are a, this is a smattering of the things that I can do with it. I can manage correspondence with my friends and loved ones. I can manage my calendar and my daily schedule. I set my alarm clocks. All of our photos and videos come through this phone. I have endless entertainment. I can look up any fact or any information I need. I can track the weather. I can manage our health care. This thing can turn on my car or my home thermostat or our security system. It can do so much. We even actually tracked Santa this year. We got to see when he left the North Pole, and everyone was in bed by the time that he arrived, which was perfect. It's an amazing thing that this does. Using it gives us a sense like we are in control, but we need to ask the undergirding question, are we actually in control? Are we actually in control when we're using technology, when we're managing our devices? If I look at my calendar, uh, I can feel like I have control over the events that are happening in the next week. I can know the appointments that I have, the meetings that I have, school events, et cetera, et cetera. I can look at all of that and feel in control, but if an illness moves through our house, a lot of those things are just going to come right off the calendar. I don't have control over that. If I check my finances, I can feel like I'm in control of my financial well-being, but none of us can actually control if we're going to go into a recession or if the market swings. We can't control those things. Or with the weather this time of the year, I find myself checking my weather app a lot, wondering when snow is going to hit again. I don't have control over when it's going to hit or if it does. Control is a God category. Control is a God category. Sharon Hottie Miller names this reality pretty bluntly. She says, if we're going to talk reality, here is what is true. Despite our technological advances, despite our acquired knowledge, despite our ability to predict and prepare, our control is still nothing compared to God's. We are living as if our control over the world has grown by miles when it has really only grown by inches. And the problem is that when we get a little sense of control, we typically want more. Control has a way of perpetuating itself. That's why these tiny little devices that have only been around for 16 years, the average person checks it 58 times a day, 58 times a day. That's a lot of dependence. It's a lot of dependence on this. This holiday season for us was full. I knew that going into it. We had a lot of holiday events, we had things we were prioritizing with our kids, and all of this led up to a family trip that we were taking. And so about four weeks before the holidays were coming, I started getting into planning mode. Planning and managing mode because it helped me feel more in control. So I started making packing lists for our family trip. Each person had their own individualized packing list. I had a day of packing list, I had a snacks and drinks packing list. We had a gift spreadsheet for everyone to know where, where the gifts were going and who was getting what. I had all of it managed and it felt good. What I couldn't have predicted was that a few days before the trip, I would get hit with influenza A, which knocked me off my feet, absolutely knocked me off my feet. I couldn't have predicted it. I didn't know that it was coming. And then once it hit, it hit so hard that there was nothing really I could do about it. So the family trip, the day we're supposed to leave, is beginning to approach. And I was starting to feel better. My husband said, like, how are you feeling? Where are you at? Do you think that we can make it? Should we delay? What should we do? And I looked through all of these packing lists and to-do lists on my phone. And I said, I I think I have it in me for the drive, but I can't do all of this. I don't have all of this in me. I can't do it. Let's just grab some stuff and go. So we looked around our house. We grabbed the stuff that kind of logically needed to come with us. We threw it in the car and we went. Uh, Looking back, it was fine. It was good. Amazingly, even without my to-do list and my packing list, everything was fine. A couple gifts didn't make it, and two outfits weren't coordinated, and I would say that was the biggest fallout of all of it. I think we were okay. I think we were okay. (laughs) The solution to our problem with control is surrender. It's surrender to God. That's the solution. And the goal is that we can surrender that sense of control and management to God by choice rather than by illness or by other circumstances that take it away from us. But when we're able to surrender to God, to let him order and let him manage, it is amazing the gift that comes with that. What I found over the holidays was that when I didn't have the energy to do the management and to do the controlling, different questions set in for me. There was a certain gentle trust that I had as we had a quieter holiday with my family. And so normally I would be saying like, what do we need to be prepping for for tonight or prepping for for tomorrow or what activity are we doing next? And instead, those questions pretty much all went away. And I found myself just asking like, how is God providing right now? How is God healing right now? What is the goodness that God's offering to us in the midst of this? Instead of being like, how can this be more perfect? What other, you know, little dots can we put on this to just make it a little better? There was a sense of just saying like, thank you. Thank you that this is good. We aren't God. We aren't sovereign. And we were never truly meant to be in control. The gift That we have, though, is that in response to humanity attempting to become God, God became human. Jesus proclaimed to his disciples this message of dependence upon God. When he came to earth, he invited his disciples to follow him. And in following him, they learned what it meant to depend wholly upon God. There was a situation in which Jesus was trying to teach what it meant to be able to be surrendered to God while living in the midst of this world. And the Pharisees of that time tried to trick Jesus. They tried to put him in a double bind. And what they did is that they took some coins, some money, and asked Jesus whether they should pay taxes to Caesar, to the Roman authorities. And in this moment, Jesus was in a double bind because if he said to pay taxes to Caesar, then he was ceding control to secular authorities over God. But if he told them not to pay taxes, then he's undermining the authority of the the greatest power that was in control of the land at that time. So instead of playing into that double bind, Jesus asked them to look at the image that was on that coin. They said that it was of Caesar. Caesar. Jesus responded to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Jesus tells them that the image on the coin is Caesar. And so Caesar, the secular world, the Roman authorities, they can have these little coins, but if they looked at themselves and at each other, they are the very image bearers of God. All the way back in Genesis, God established his people with God's own image. And so Jesus here is calling them to give to Caesar what Caesar's, but to God, their whole selves, to give that to God. And so too we are called with these devices, these things of this world that matter. They're helpful. They really are helpful. But we can give these to God, or we can give these to the world and we are called to give our whole selves in surrender to God. The control of our lives is meant to be given to God. We have the drive to control our environments and our circumstances. All of that is built into us and our culture disciples us into it. The more we do it, the more we want to. But we have the opportunity to surrender to surrender that control. And so I want to offer a couple, as the band comes up, I'm going to offer a couple of questions for reflection for us to consider as we go into this week. Is there a daily or weekly practice that you do that helps give you a sense of of control apart from God? That gives you a sense of independence apart from God or makes you feel secure apart from him? And the second question, is there a daily or weekly practice that would help remind you that God is the one who truly is in control, that you can offer that control to him and that he will be good and faithful when we surrender to him.